Well, seniors who are with us, uh, it's so good to see you. Thanks for joining us for worship. I want you to know that CPC is for you. Like we're rooting for you and praying for you. And I hope that you know that we are a home base for you. Whatever you go through over the years to come, we hope that you know we care for you and that hopefully this is always a home for you in your spiritual journey. Um, But I do have to warn you, this morning you might see me limping around the stage a little bit. And that's because on Friday I had knee surgery. So this is what you have to look forward to in your life. I had someone ask me after the first service if I had my knee replaced, and I'm not that old. No offense to anybody. (laughs) I just had meniscus cleaned up. That's what you have to look forward to, though. Man, it is so good to have you with us, though. um, We continue this morning in a series looking at the resurrection and the difference the resurrection made in the life of the early Christians. And technically, we're taking a detour. So we're not actually in the 40 days after the resurrection this morning. We're actually going to look at a different uh, set of scriptures and a different question, and that is, when the early Christians wanted to pass down the faith, when they wanted to put what they believed in writing and spread it around the world and hand it to the next generation, what did they write? How did they write about the resurrection and what difference it made in their lives. And so to get there, I want you to think about uh, an image or a thought that I've been seeing all around me, an image I've been seeing all around me for the last few years. And that is in our neighborhood, and I imagine in all of your neighborhoods over the last few years, slowly over time, a lot of the houses have been remodeled. A lot of the houses have been torn down and new builds have been put in their place. And there's been a lot of new houses and newness in our neighborhoods. And look, I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I love a good Chip and Joanna farmhouse the same way everyone else does, right? It's beautiful, it's modern, it's clean. But it's going in everywhere. And the thing is, you know, a few years ago, maybe no one on the block had remodeled, no one had a new build and everyone was just fine with their house. And then that person over there did it, and then that person, and then that person, all of a sudden, like all the houses are being worked on. Why? Because newness is contagious. Newness spreads. Now, I'm not advocating for keeping up with the Joneses, but what I am just pointing out is that when we see something new, it makes us go, oh, wait, what's possible for us? Newness is contagious. In fact, I would say what I want us to see this morning about the power of the resurrection is that newness begets Newness. And I'm using the word begets on purpose. So many of you might have seen that word begets in maybe a King James Bible, or uh, it's, it's, sort of a, it's sort of a traditional word. It's an, an arcane word that means to birth or to create or to generate, that newness generates newness. In fact, Scripture tells us that when you are in Christ, that you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, that we are meant to experience the newness of Christ in our lives. But my question is, what if we're stuck? What if we're stuck in the same old thing? What if we're not letting the newness infect and impact our lives in the world? What does it look like for us to let newness truly beget newness in our own stories? Where do we need newness in our lives? So we're going to look at a series of scriptures. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians 15. You have pew Bibles in front of you. It'll be on the screen behind me or on the screens for those of you watching on video. 
1 Corinthians 15, we're gonna start in verse three now. There are many who believe that this passage we're about to read is uh, one of the first summaries of the gospel that the early church used. And so verse three, 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is another name for Peter. He appeared to Peter and then to the 12. So let's stop there. Now, this is what they wrote down. This is the summary of the faith. But there's, there's a phrase in there that you might just gloss over. It might just kind of roll through your mind or roll off the tongue and we move past it. But it says it twice, according to the scriptures. Why does he say that? It's like shorthand. It's like if there's, if there's a movie director that you like and, and you see, oh, that director is signed on to direct this film. It's like the, the whole weight of that person's experience and their influence and, and the power of their skill is, is now brought to bear on that movie or on that film, whatever it is, right? And so to say, according to the scriptures is to say that the whole weight, the influence, the impact of the Old Testament is now brought to bear on what God has done. What he's trying to communicate is that, that this thing that God did by raising Jesus from the dead, that that was God's plan all along. That's what God has always been about, is he is the God of newness from death, of new life, of new birth from death, that God sent his son to die on the cross so that he could defeat sin and death and so that he could bring new life into my life, into yours, and into our world. That every version of the Christian story that has power is a version of the Christian story that's about resurrection, that there is no version of our story that's complete without the power of newness and resurrection. In fact, um, ethicist and philosopher and professor Stanley Hauerwas said that the problem, after all, is not belief in the resurrection, but whether we live lives that would make no sense if, in fact, Jesus has not been raised from the dead. Does your life make sense? apart from Christ being raised from the dead. If the resurrection is about new life, are we taking that new life seriously or do we keep showing up in church, in Bible studies, proclaiming new life, but not actually letting it transform us, but not letting it in? Do we find ourselves just doing the same old things as we've always done, doing the same old things as everyone else? I'm reminded of the stereotype of, of organizations, whether it's big corporations or small mom and pop shops or even churches that will hire outside consultants and they pay lots of money. These consultants come in and they help them come up with a new mission statement and new core values and, and they, they put them on posters, they put them on a wall, they put them in a binder, they put that binder on a shelf and they forget about them. And they just go back to doing whatever they were already doing? Why? Why do we do things like this? Why do we say we're going to do things differently and then we keep living the same old ways? Why? Well, Chris McChesney, who wrote the book, The Four Disciplines of Execution, he said, you know what's not hard is it's not hard to come up with a new mission statement. Do you know what's hard? Changing human behavior. 
Changing human behavior is one of the most difficult things in the world. And the early Christians believed that changing human behavior was only possible through something outside of us. That there wasn't something in us that could change our behavior. That it took a power that was outside of us. That if we're stuck, if we're unable to change ourselves, we'll just keep getting caught in the same loops settling for less than what God wants for us, settling for less than the newness that Christ can bring into our lives. In fact, here's how the, the writer of 2 Corinthians, so go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, here's how he talks about it. Now this 2 Corinthians 5 is a beautiful passage. I'm gonna read a snippet of it. If you get a chance, go back later and read the whole thing. It's beautiful. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 14. It says this, for Christ's love compels us. His love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Let's stop there. So every so often, I'll have someone come to me, and, and, and what they want to process is that they're stuck. And they're stuck, and often what this looks like is an addiction. And they'll come with an addiction that they want to process. How do I, how do I break this cycle? How do I get out of this addiction? And if, if any of you have ever been through that sort of a thing, what you know is the first thing you do is you put in safeguards, right? If this is my addiction, here's how I get separation from it. Here's how I cut off the faucet. Here's how I put in some, some rules and some very hard rules to make sure that I get away from that addiction. But here's what we also know is that we can't just put in rules in safeguards. We have to actually see heart transformation. That addiction is about attachment and it's about love and it's about a need for grace. And so it can't just be putting in rules to keep you away from that addiction. You actually need a transformation of the heart. And that can't come from just putting rules in place. So you need one, but you also need the other. Because what happens is for many of us, I think we stop with putting the rules in place in our lives. Do we think like, if I just follow the right path, if I just control the situation, if I just buy the right thing or earn the right thing or do the right thing, then all will be well. But what happens? We end up finding ourselves back in the same place. Because at the end of the day, we cannot control ourselves to freedom and to new life. All those things, setting rules, buying the right thing, doing the right thing, lucking the right way, they're all about controlling our own path. And instead, what we need to do is die to self and live for the one who died and was raised again on our behalf. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 says, that Jesus is not a tool to help us get to a new life or the life we've always wanted. Jesus himself is our new life. He is the destination and he is the way. 2 Corinthians 5 says that it's not within us to transform ourselves. 
We don't have the power. We need something from outside of us, and that something is the love of Christ. The love of Christ demonstrated in his death and his resurrection. That is the only thing that compels us to transformation. It's the only thing that can change us. It's the only thing that can transform the way we see ourselves and the way we see others. The love of Christ is the only thing that has the power to compel us to newness. Colorado pastor Glenn Packiam said that resurrection is the creator God being faithful to his creation to bring it through death into completion and perfection. This completion and perfection are necessary not only because of the decay and death in the world, but also because of the way earth is separated from heaven. Sin has created a fracture between human space and God's space. A new creation is what happens when resurrection comes to creation. We need new life that only comes through the resurrection bursting into creation. Jesus was raised from the dead. Death could not hold him. And the New Testament Christians believed that the resurrection had the power to change what's in here that the resurrection had the power to bring newness into our lives. In fact, they hung all of their hopes and they even said that if the resurrection isn't real, then we are to be pitied most of all. That's what they said. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's hopeless. You are still in your sins. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. What he's saying is that if, if the hope that we have is about our ability to control our lives in the here and now, to bring ourselves to new life, then it's a mirage and it's hopeless then we're banking on nothing. But in fact, if Christ has come back from the dead, if that tomb was empty, if we can know the newness of life now and forevermore with him, then we are not to be pitied. Then we have something that only Christ can bring us. The newness of resurrection in our lives. If newness is in us, it spreads into the world through us that newness begets newness. It doesn't just stop with us when it's transforming us. God uses it to spread into the world. I'll use a personal example, a little simple one from this past week. So early in the week, I was looking at the week ahead and I thought, I don't know how I'm gonna get all this stuff done. I don't know if you ever feel that way. But you look and you're like, I've got to get this and this and this and this and this and this and this. I'll get all of it done. And then I've got this on Wednesday and this on Thursday and you know, this on Friday. And it's like, this could never be possible. There's no way to do all this. And I felt so hopeless. And you know what that made me feel? Um, it didn't make me feel good. It didn't make me feel encouraged. It didn't make me feel hopeful. And I, and I think that's what happens is, is that often we get stuck in these patterns that are not producing hope. They're not producing joy. They're not producing newness. They're producing anxiety and frustration and fear and anger. Like they're creating in us 
not what Christ wants for us, but something where we're stuck. And what I realized is that uh, the only way out of that cycle is to, is to put that anxiety where it belongs and to say, this does not have control over my life and to say, in fact, the newness of Christ, the presence of the resurrected one in my own story is far more important than my ability to knock out everything on my to-do list today. Right? And again, it's a simple example, but it affects all of us in everyday ways that the newness of Christ is possible, but we get stuck and focused not on newness, but on what we can control. And that becomes overwhelming because we can't do it all. We can't solve all the problems. We put the weight on our shoulders and we don't trust in the resurrected one to bring newness into our lives. One more passage in Romans chapter eight. Romans eight eleven says this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that brought newness into the world is living in us. It's living in us and it goes with us wherever we find ourselves. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living within you and it changes everything. So when you find yourself going into your schools, when you find yourself going into your families, your neighborhoods, your workplaces, the newness of Christ is with you. It newness begets newness. Wherever you go, you're bringing his spirit with you into those places. Last week, we talked about discipleship, meaning as you're going into the world, do these things. As you are going, you're bringing the power of the Holy Spirit and the newness of Christ into those spaces. My question for you is where do you need to let newness into your life, into your story? And so in just a second, we're gonna listen to this song and reflect. The question will be on the screen. I just want you to take some time to reflect upon. Maybe it's in a relationship where you need newness. Maybe you're stuck. Maybe it's in a, a situation or something going on in your life that you need newness. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe, it's, maybe there's something deep down inside. Maybe there's a darkness or an addiction or a sin that you're holding on to that you need newness. You need Christ to address it and deal with. Where do you need newness this morning? <laughs>